Hey, good morning. It's time for another Buddy's Owner Arizona Schnoodle Walks. It's a little bit chilly out there. And it's Thursday. And we're going to get heading out here in a moment. And do I have a podcast title for you? I don't know. I think this one might be developing. I had a thought on the classic like 1970s, 80s, 90s philosophy, which I don't hear much about anymore. I'm kind of curious. Back in our day, coming up in the world, there was an expression like knowledge is power. And I've read quite a few books on like power. There's power dynamics and power this, that. And so I thought, well, I don't hear people talking about it anymore. And, and usually it's actually kind of uh, most useful probably in company, career, politics, career development. And uh, I mean, I came out of a big corporation, which is just full of, I, I was just, just, just not my style as company politics, you know. And uh, so, needless to say, probably why a reason I'm not there anymore. And I'm finally getting used to like, hey, it's not me. I just didn't fit. I wanted to fit, but I just couldn't do it. Or it just didn't work out. Or it's just whatever. I'm Joseph. Throw me in prison, man. So, um... Yeah, they always, a lot of people say, well, it's all good. I just haven't reached the all good yet. Uh, but maybe I will. <laughs> so knowledge is power was an expression. I thought, wait, let's change, you know, and I'm thinking of my first Corinthians 13. My favorite, one of my favorites is the, uh, you know, Paul's like, if I do this and do that, if I'm, if I have all wisdom and all knowledge, but I don't have love, I'm nothing. So, how about uh, changing knowledge is power to love is power? It sounds so squishy and ushy and gooey, and I just, I know my earlier self just wouldn't relate to that. It just sounds too, and actually a lot of the things I'm speaking about, I'm uh, sensitive to because it is sounds so highfalutin, right? Like it's Holy Spirit and uh, love. <laughs> and well, for me, it's a transition. So I'm just getting comfortable with the Gaussians. So the Gaussian distribution is, hey, I'm learning. I'm on the curve. Some of you are more advanced. And some of you are along with me on the journey, picking it up. So we're moving up the curve. So that was one thought. I had... A 30-second dream this morning, I call it. I call it a 30-second. It might even been shorter. And uh, as I was waking up, I just had this, like, vision. And I, I can only describe it as a dream kind of thing. In my, I had images in my head about that I was sitting at my desk. And some old guy with a beard, kind of looked like Santa, was walking by me and uh, made a comment. And I'm like, who's that? You know, And uh, I was like... 
the 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 vision the image was actually like my house of course the setting so that's what a lot of dreams are probably familiar places right so the good it was just like a 30 second thing i just started laughing at the end of it because like who's this dude in my house and he's like pissing me off you know and it was just like he was just walking uh my office areas upstairs and he just like walks down the stairs and out the front door and then i'm like hey honey my wife was sitting in in the dream she was sitting in the other room in the kind of chair like who's that guy (laughs) who's that guy in our house and there's some symbolic to this thing too. I'll get to that in a minute. But it's like, because we we've been talking about doing um, like Airbnb or there's another program called Home Away and uh, renting out the house. So I think part of that, my brain was probably said, well, it's, you know, you're, have, you're, you're going to be having strangers in your house, right? So then, and then I thought, well, there's something else. So there's another symbolic angle to that and it's like i've let like i thought well i'm letting this dude in my house uh that's pissing me off so like why don't get him out of my house right so this is something i'm growing in a bit that uh realizing that hey not everyone's gonna like you not everyone's gonna like <laughs> and if you're listening to this podcast you love me or something or you're sadistic or something i don't know what so um So get that, and then it reminded me now, and then I woke up in consciousness, was sharing this with my wife, because early in the morning, and uh, just, you know, she can't figure it out either, I'm not asking her to, but I, I think I, because it was like right before I was waking up, or while I was waking up, and it was just a short little story, I was like, boom, capture it, boom, that doesn't happen very often, uh, with dreams for me, sometimes Dreams are can be more in the middle of the night. Now I know there's all kinds of research, and people say like, "Well, you actually you do pretty sh- dream just before you wake up." And there's maybe something about the the brain is starting to switch on. And at my age, biologically, I think things are happening where I am waking up um, more. And I, you know, as you go through this older aging transition, there's probably some resistance. It's like. Why can't it be like the way it was before, you know, type of thing? You know, I don't like this changes stuff. Yeah. So anyway, that was the dream. Like, what's this guy doing in my house? And then it also reminds me that there's a connection to Louis Giglio um, talk that I heard a few months ago that I spoke on about don't let the enemy have a seat at the table, right? So that's kind of, in a, in a loose way, this guy was kind of representing that negativity, someone criticizing. And and for me, on the Gaussian curve, I'm one of the low end of the Gaussian curve that is sensitive to criticism, right? So some of you don't have a problem with criticism at all. You're just like, yeah, whatever, move on. And that's a more comfortable place to be. So, in a related front, yesterday, a opportunity to take one of these, I don't know what they're, this one's called like trimetrics. It's part of the DISC, part of it is DISC assessment. D is like dominating and I is influencing and S is something else and C, both S and C are really low for me, so I don't really study it. I can't remember what the names are. But S and C, those are like organizational things. 
So um, I, I came out exactly the same again, very high on I. So I want to influence you in a positive way today to remember that you are a what? The H word, hero. Yeah, you're the hero. So, um, which actually is a good, good H word. And then my brain just flipped to uh, Rob Bell. He did a series, like 10-week series on Jesus H. Christ. And the last episode, he revealed what he thinks the H stands for. And I'm pretty sure it wasn't hero. And then I thought, I'm going to go have to listen to that. But now my brain just popped in, and, and I'm pretty sure what he said the H stood for was human. Uh, I kind of like hero better. <laughs> He's a hero. We're a hero. Everybody's a hero. Everybody. So my heroic deed is to finish walking the bud here, and get back home, get him some food, get started in the morning. Then my next heroic deed will be going to the gym and doing some exercise, which for most people sounds like a luxury, right? Oh, go to the gym. But it's it's something I've come to feel like it's a necessity for me three times a week because uh, I missed it yesterday. I was thinking yesterday I'd do it, but I actually wrote. So, hey, hey, got another 5,000 words in yesterday. I think I've done... 12,500 in the last three days. And I want to do some more today. I'm on fire. I'm on fire on this thing. And it's not, I'm learning, I'm learning, I'm learning. And I probably still will need some more editing and stuff. But I got to do it this way. I got to, got to reframe it, rephrase it to what am I here to say? I mean, it's getting all this clarity as we go along here. I'm here to say... Was it the Holy Spirit? I had, dang, I had some phrase. Holy Spirit, because it was going to have to be like a branding. Oh, Holy Spirit coach, coaching. How's that? I'm going to be like, I'm going to be like Holy Spirit coach. I think, I think it's kind of cool. Coaching. Come join me for some coaching on the Holy Spirit. Morning. Bud, come on. What are you going to do? You want to go sniff these guys? Yeah. Did you run out of gas? <laughs> All right, bud. So, yeah. How about that? Holy Spirit coaching. Ink. Ink. Something. I don't know. Holy Spirit coaching. He must increase, and I must increase. Jesus is saying that in heaven right now. It's like, yeah, man. Michael's got it, man. It's Jesus must decrease, and Holy Spirit must increase. Why not? This is where we live right now. It's been there the whole time, people. And because we can't articulate it, it sounds like nutty stuff. But we, we talk about Jesus and uh, convince ourselves how real he is, which I'm saying he is. But he did have a physical body, and we have witnesses and things. 
But hey, man, give the Holy Spirit some respect, peeps. Peeps. It's supposed to be the third, it's not just a theory, the third person of the Trinity. He's even better than Jesus. I mean, even Jesus told us that stuff, right? He's with you right now, every moment. So this is more value from the Holy Spirit coach. Yeah, I'm going to, let's own this thing. Huh? <laughs> yeah, can't believe I'm getting the words out. Because it's like naming it helps. And uh, why not? There's coaches for all kinds of stuff, right? And I love that concept. Cause it, and it's like totally reframes uh, preaching teaching, so to speak. You've got to get into the coaching realm. It only, it only makes sense. I don't know what the Greek word is for coaching. Maybe there isn't one. <laughs> or the Latin word for coaching. What is the Latin word? Because I'm a word freak anyway, so I have to have fun with it. It makes sense because naming things, naming them, that's powerful. Powerful in, in communication, in understanding. Oh, there's a dog behind a fence. He's so sad because Bud's getting a nice walk. And how is it in Arizona today? It's uh, partly cloudy. The sun is shining in my face through the scattered clouds and the freeway is probably going to be open in like three weeks excitement which reminds me i should call that real estate lady and see if she bought up a couple hundred acres <laughs> yeah yeah buy a couple hundred acres baby so um holy spirit coach like that getting there gotta get this book done man talk to a marketing PR person and uh, oh yeah so what else what else we got yeah reading some James no no Peter 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 doing my chapter today and it's a a classic chapter on apologetics there's a big um, sub subtext on apologetics and people love in the Christian community they love saying that word like apologetics oh yeah apologetics man and it's basically these really smart people like researching things and uh, Proving things and telling you stuff, and I just I kind of have my my uh, curiosity, I guess I would say, and uh, on these things. So it's a big deal. I mean, there's a guy Ravi Zacharias who's like made a career out of apologetics, you know, and uh, a lot of it comes down to First Peter three fifteen. There's a verse. Because everybody's got to like have a verse to like justify what they're doing, so to speak. Not that they have to, but they love it. They love when they find a verse like, "Oh yeah, this is this is what we're doing." And and it's it's uh, it says something to the effect 
You know, always be ready to give a defense for the hope that was in you, right? Give a defense. So the emphasis is on, oh man, always be ready to give a defense, right? And see, here's one of the problems with verse plucking. This is, a, I'm giving, this is my uh, special insight just for you. So the problem with the verse plucking and having an agenda, which is to like, I'm, oh, I'm, I'm in this field of apologetics, you know, apologetics. We give a defense for our beliefs, right? And, and everyone, I mean, almost everyone accepts that. You'll see it written all over the place. If you Google apologetics or something, or if you just like, you know, um, giving a defense and you do Ravi Zacharias, at some point, you're probably going to see First Peter 3.15, I think it is, right? That's First Peter 3.15. As if, as if God inspired Peter to write this just so that a whole industry could be made in the 20th century on apologetics, you know? And what I'm getting at is that the context doesn't support that theory and it's okay i'm not going to argue with them so but my my thing is put blinders on don't argue with them but i'm walking my dog so this is this is a low energy discussion here for me low commitment but basically the context is uh peter's writing to these displaced jewish christians again um scattered throughout what's today's turkey and since we know from acts that basically peter's focusing on the jewish people not the gentiles mostly you know read the read the text through that filter and yet this the concept of the inerrant inspired word of god to me that one of the failures is starting with that what you end up doing is just like magically transporting these verses to 2019. You know, you just, hey, you know, I mean, I, that's that's the quote-unquote logic behind it is, oh, yeah, it's the inerrant inspired word of God. So, therefore, I can just pluck this verse and slap it down on an apologetics discussion, you know. It says right there, always be ready to make a defense. you got to learn. You gotta learn. You gotta, you gotta study. You gotta do ge, you know, be at least. You maybe you don't have to be an expert on, on uh, geology or something in ancient Israel, but you should be aware of it. I mean, because you know that's that's how you're gonna make a better defense. But what are we defending? See, that's the whole problem. Is they say we're defending the faith. We're defending the intellectualism the intellectual aspect of christianity and it's just not in the text okay this is what's kind of sad to me and don't you know i'm just a podcaster you know you you go look it up yourself and the key to me is that he's talking to them about suffering and doing good behaviors and he's like if you suffer for doing good just go with it, you know, suffer for doing good. Um, and, you know, you have a hope. We have hope, people. 
That's what this whole message is about, is hope and eternity and abundance, joy. And so when we're suffering and people see that you have this hope and how do you overcome that? Oh, your son's got cancer. Oh, your wife has cancer. Oh, you have brain surgery. Oh, um, your father has cancer. Oh, well, but you still have hope. You have hope. Yeah. Tell them why you have hope. It's not because of the Dead Sea Scrolls or some geology find or they found Noah's Ark to prove that that's a true story. You know, that's all facts, facts. But hope is your personal hope, your story, your heroic journey. You know, you are the hero. You have a story. You have overcome. And you don't even have to go tell it is the thing. You don't have to go tell people your heroic stories. All you have to do is have hope. That's it. If you have the hope today. What I, I don't know. Maybe I should just change this to podcast to the hope. It's hope, man. I forgot what I was going to call it. The, the very first thing we talked about. But, uh, oh, yeah, yeah. Knowledge is power. Love is power. Then we'll do dash hope. Hope. Love is power. So um, there we go again with a verse pluck that uh, is commonly used. And we're not going to, I'm not going to go write a you know, campaign and argue with Ravi Zacharias, you know, and say, dude, you're using this wrong. You're wrong. It's just like, okay, he's doing his thing. People enjoy hearing about all the intellectual stuff about um, Christianity. So people enjoy it. And that's my blind spot is I'm like, dudes, you know, my blind spot is to say, hey, you 10,000 people that love Rafi Zacharias and love apologetics and da-da-da-da-da, you're, you're learning so much. And there's a little bit of doubt. I mean, I have a little bit of tinge in my heart for that. But should I be squashing it out? Probably not. You know, can I just let it go? And I won't let it go in the next 10 minutes because that's what the whole podcast is about. But, uh, you know, because I prepared for this one, you know, so we know we know the next 10, 10 minutes is going to be all about apologetics. Right. <laughs> so, unless I run into somebody else with a dog and it and it flips my mind. So um, apologetics, big following. It's okay. It's okay. It's knowledge. Abundance. Let it go. Let people study. To me, the most important thing is to have that hope. And then if you really want to dive into the scriptures of 1 Peter 3, you look at it and you go, yeah. Yeah, I, I have some suffering in my life. I'm suffering, yeah. I read Viktor Frankl, you know. Uh, what's my attitude towards suffering? Unavoidable suffering. Here's a guy in a concentration camp. You know, he survived. You know, and it wasn't just like cowering. He didn't survive because he cowered in a corner. He survived just by waking up in the morning and doing the best he could under like incredibly crappy situation. So I can't, I don't, I don't believe my 
listeners that you are in as a crappy situation. And so are we supposed to like compare like, oh no, my situation's crappier than yours. Oh no, no, no. I'm going to one up you on crappy situations, you know? So, uh, I think we've got a book by a guy that's probably had the most crappy situation you could ever imagine. So we should probably listen to him, right? You know, I know we also should, number one is probably there's the gems are in the scriptures, but you know, that's, that's a foundation. But this guy, Viktor Frankl, he had some kind of hope. He doesn't, and I guess, you know, there you'd say he didn't really, he didn't like quote the Bible and say what's going on. He just was a Jewish guy and he survived. And and he was, for whatever reason, he was a psychiatrist and he was able to write down and describe his experience for our benefit so that we don't have to live in a concentration camp. Although I, I don't know if it's symbolically or metaphorically, in a way, <laughs> you're going to have to go with me on this one. That isn't our life here that it is great and gifted and we can have all the gratitude we want. In a weird way, are we not all in a concentration camp? And it sounds so politically charged. But if you know me, you know I'm kind of goofy, right? And I don't, I'm not, I'm not saying that to like try to influence you in a uh, anti-Nazi way. I'm looking at it like an internal way and basically reading Viktor Frankl, you're like, he didn't know what was going to happen from hour to hour. And he was so close to death all the time. And he, and he sees other people. I mean, I can't imagine how his soul could not be crushed and ground up into powder because he would see thousands of people arriving. And he knew that they were going into their deaths. It's just right there. And he, had, he was powerless. You know? So what it was, you know, what's his attitude towards unavoidable suffering? And then later in life when it was all over and he was trying to, like, you know, regroup. And he was telling a story about how he was counseling a man who was so depressed because his wife had passed away and he he made a turn on that story he's like well he talked to the gentleman about well think about the suffering you know would your wife feel the same way if you had been passed away and you know your wife would be sitting here suffering and depressed because you had passed away and and he's like well yeah i think she would and and then he was like well you saved her from that suffering. You know, you're alive. So so you're not, you saved her from it. It's kind of a weird way of thinking about it, but that was the discussion. But that, that comes from a guy who for at least, I think at least two, maybe three years, moment by moment, was, uh, didn't know what was going to happen. And he tells some stories about events that uh, he could see that other people somewhat protected him from 
the end of his life. And we just don't know, people. So enjoy this moment. Enjoy this podcast. And, uh, you know, I've been thinking about asteroids hitting the Earth. <laughs> not, in a, not in a morbid way. But I, I, uh, I think of it as like, well, Paul and Peter and John and all the guys, first of all, they probably, they pretty much were clueless about the Earth, right? They thought it was probably flat. They didn't know about any, you know, these expansive areas and things. But I mean, if they, and obviously, I mean, the, the asteroid, I mean, if they, you know, they don't even know that the Earth is round in the solar system or any of this stuff, right? Or that the Earth is orbiting the sun and they didn't know any of these things, right? So there's no way in hell. <laughs> that is such a crazy phrase to say about New Testament writers. There's no way in hell that they could know that there was even such a thing as an asteroid. Right? But we know it today. We know there's an asteroid. So we have to just, it gives me motivation to be great, grateful and gratitude. I, I'm walking my dog. The sun's out. And, you know, I'm in my earlier days, I'd be like panicking about how am I going to pay the mortgage payment and stuff. And there is uh, an element of that, but there's only so much I can control, right? And, you know, am I going to have somebody else judge me and say, well, you got to do more than what you're doing. You can't, you can't be doing a podcast, walking your dog while you're looking for a job. And that's kind of how I used to think. I was stressed out. I'm, I mean, this is a, a process. And uh, so next Tuesday, it's today's Thursday, I got to wait and see, see if I can go to the next stage. And I got some internal supporters, and it's not a huge company. So we'll see if I can make it work. And I got other things going, too. I got the funnel up. Keep the funnel full. Keep things going. And so any moment, I might get a call. And it's like an asteroid hitting the Earth in a different way. Because is an asteroid hitting the Earth, is that better than getting a job or worse? I, don't, I mean, most people say, well, that's worse. If you got a job and you're working and you're happy and everything, then you probably think that your current life is awesome, which it probably is. And whether it's awesome or not, we should be thankful. That's the point. I should be thankful, speaking to myself. But it's probably a better, I have a better, the German word for attitude is launa, L-A-U-N-E. So man muss ein gute launa haben. That means... We should have, we must have a good attitude. Does that sound pretty cool in uh, German? Man muss ein guter Laune haben. Ah, German, German. So, um, yeah, yeah. What else, what else? Writing is going okay, work in progress. And uh, change for me is, I'm open to change. Like, I shoot, I just went, let's go to Germany. Okay, let's go move. American company? No, German company. How are you going to get back? Don't know. Let's just go. Yeah, so I'm, I'm, I'm not a risk-averse person in some ways. But I'm risk-averse 
probably in um, what people think about me or, you know, like I'll go do that because I'm like, I can defend it and say, well, who wouldn't do that? You know, why wouldn't I do that? You know, but standing up in front of people and talking about the Holy Spirit now, that's like, what are people going to think I'm crazy? Yeah. And yet that's what we should be talking about. And we shouldn't be virtue signaling. I love the 2015 expression, virtue signal. For you, for you word people, probably the most useful expression that's come out in like that I can think of in a long time. And uh, I do think our pastors, preachers, I think they feel like their job is to virtue signal us. Thus, my social justice debate. I'm kind of sick of it because I think, what's our message? The message is there's an eternal God and he loves people. And this grouping of things, like this group is, is, is hurting that group and this group hurts that group. But don't we all know that it's all individual stuff? That there's no grouping. There's no groups doing this and that. And uh, all you can do is look at trends and say, well, this is a trend. But nobody's really, I don't, you can't put any trend on an individual person. There's no conspiracy in some of these social debates. And I don't know if I talked about, I think I talked about income inequality, but it came up again. I was like, you know, my German friend who's been making corporate jet engines for the Uber rich for 30 years, and he sends me Noam Chomsky, Noam Chomsky's whining complaint about income inequality and i'm like let's embrace income inequality there's a there's it's just a different way of looking at life i i mean there's at least two thousand people in germany that are working because of the uber rich and they're making a pretty cool product and isn't it all cool that you know people have these big corporate jets i don't have a problem with it i don't own one i'll never own right and and yet, you know, Noam Chomsky and his theories are like that's oh income inequality is wrong. It's wrong for Jeff Bezos to have a hundred billion dollars. I'm like, no, what what's wrong with I don't I don't you know Jeff Bezos, he's got this Kindle thing going, and Amazon's not a bad thing. And I'm like. This is one of my middle middle of the night crazy ideas. I'm like, in some ways, Jeff Bezos is making a better, bigger impact for God even than the Pope, all the Popes combined. How's that? How's that for a exaggeration? Yeah. And why would I say that Jeff Bezos is uh, having a much bigger impact for God than the Pope himself. And I would say that because of the Kindle and the books and messages and the proliferation of information. And then I had to go to the next step and go, well, it's really Google. Google's the one that's probably doing more for God right now than the Pope or any religious leader. And it's counterintuitive. It's crazy, maybe. You may think I'm a nuts. But that doesn't mean I praise Google as like Google's like, awesome or Jeff Bezos. I'm just saying those 
technology developments, iPhones. I'm doing this podcast because of Steve Jobs and the visions. This is all developed because of income inequality. If, if Steve Jobs was in North Korea and with all his brain power, he could never develop the Apple computer systems or products and services, then we'd none, the whole world wouldn't have it because he was trapped in uh, North Korea, which it does have, they have great income equality. It's like everybody gets zero. <laughs> but it's equal. Isn't that great? Everybody gets zero, man, in North Korea. And some techno weenies would debate me and say, well, no, they really don't get zero. They get, you know, they get these uh, North Korean fennigs or something, you know, and they get to go buy their kimchi, like just like South Korea, but their kimchi doesn't taste as good. Because the the government controlled kimchi production factory sucks, you know. So that's what you get when you get income equality, folks. You get North Korea, you get East Germany, you get crazy bipolar worlds, right? So like my uh, East German professor of literature was really smart could read the books his, you know his vocabulary in German was probably off the charts but he was stuck in a system of communism and so he was limited by that and he made the best out of it and that's what humans do we always make the best of the situations and the less we fight our systems and just say, hey, I'm going to do the best I can with what I have to work with. Just like playing poker. If, you get a, if you're fortunate enough to get a pair of aces, then play your, play your aces. If you got two, three offsuit, you're probably not going to do too well. You know? You're probably just going to have to fold your hand. And, and it's so obvious that no one ever complains. Like, oh, hey, dealer, you're giving me two, three offsuit. That sucks. <laughs> Everybody else at the table would laugh at him. Go like, "Yeah, that's kind of the name of the game here. It's poker, you know." Not everybody gets to have a pair of aces, and in the income equality world, they'd all get everybody would get a pair of ace of spades, which is impossible, right? Because there's only one ace of spades. But if you had five people. That means you got to give out 10 aces of spades and it just makes the whole game ludicrous, right? So my transformations also is that there's more frequency of deals. Like it's not go get an engineering degree, go get a job in a company and that's it. You're on your way. It's that's, you know, you're stuck in a path. It's like, no, you keep, dealing get asked for some more cards play another play another hand don't keep playing so for me i would say in that analogy i'd be or metaphor whatever it is um i keep playing the same hand over and over again you know it's like no go change tables move around do something get another 
get some more cards, play another hand, keep going. And uh, don't get pissed and like, ah, oh, these cards suck. I, I got two, three offsuit. I can't play these cards, you know. It's like, go get another hand, keep going, fold, move on. So I just framed something that's obvious that you already know already, but it's just maybe that helps communicate a little something. Helps it for me too, but I need to think about that too. So let's talk about self-awareness. Yeah. Like I started talking about these tests. I'm high I influencer. I like to dominate, but I'm I'm more interested in influencing than I am in dominating. So that's probably why I'm not a a corporate high level manager because I don't want to dominate as much as I want to influence because I think influencing is is a better more human way of living isn't it do you want to be do you want to be dominated and told what to do or do you want to influence people and let them choose make a convincing argument and let them choose the path they want to go. That's me. I'm more of an influencer. But part of this test also has like these driving forces. So they all came out the same again. And I'm still intentional. So I score high on intentionality. And so you remember in all these tests and things that uh, uh, we're all different and there's no right answer. But what I, I chuckle and laugh my ass off is um, I, my highest scoring driving force is intentionality. And it might explain why I get so pissed off when I hear it in church. Like, oh, man, we just got to be more intentional, man. We really got to lean into this, man. We really got to lean in. Be intentional. Be intentional. And I guess in my heart and soul, I'm like, dude, I, I, I'm off the charts intentional already. So, you know, you don't have to, like, try to influence me with the word intentional. Morning. So, you don't have to use the magic words. Oh, yeah, unpacking things. So, I hope I never say, let's unpack this. <laughs> let's unpack First Peter 3.15. Yeah. Let's unpack it. It says... Always be ready to give a defense. But you got to keep unpacking because here comes the punchline for the hope that is in with you. So when you fully unpack the verse and you unpack the context, you know, then you fully unpack the suitcase of First Peter 3. And now you're ready to go because we've unpacked it. And so now yeah, I want you to be intentional about the hope. You know, you, the emphasis is on defending. If you don't have any hope, there's nothing to defend. So you got to have the hope. You don't have to have the knowledge. You got to have the hope. You got to have the love. Then people are going to be like, what's with that dude or dudette? They're so full of love and hope. You know, that's when you get the questions like, I'll have what they're drinking, man. They're so pumped up. I'm going to have what they're drinking. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's that's uh that's being ready for a defense for the hope that's within you. So back to emotional intelligence. So the next phase of this, three phases of the test. Disc. So did that. 
driving forces for me are intentional and resourcefulness. And both the intentional and resourcefulness kind of cause me to pause because I'm just, I don't feel in my heart that those are my driving forces, but I think they probably are. And, I, and I've seen that before and I'm still working through it. But the, the last one I want to go to is the new section, a third section on emotional intelligence. And so there's, they have, they break it into five groups, just plain old self-awareness, self-regulation, which is related, motivation, um, and then social awareness and social regulation. So my first thought was, what am I lowest on? What, what am I really low on? You know, the statistics, the test. My lowest thing is self, just plain old simple self-awareness. Then the next lowest, probably not too surprising, is self-regulation. Then the next lowest, so I'm getting, it moves up the scale. So my worst one is self-awareness. Second worst is self-regulation. Third is motivation. Now, fourth, I start getting into the range of acceptable range. You know, I'm not, not bad. I'm like, I'm not off the charts. In fact, it's kind of weird because it's a scale of 1 to 99. The averages, you start getting up there, the averages are like 75. So pretty much a lot of people have a high social awareness and social regulation. So I'm not off the charts in those, but I'm fairly Gaussian distribution in the middle right and if you're at 75 then you'd have to be like 95 which is pretty tough to be off the charts um off the chart there so bud just stepped in some gooey stuff what do you don't do that bud. come on and uh so i was kind of i was like i'm getting kind of used to some of these assessment things so i'm like yeah okay i'm bummed I was like, whoa, I'm really low on self-awareness. It kind of sucks. So, and then emotional intelligence, there's all these books. Well, like, well, you can improve yourself and, you know, emotional intelligence. And I've known that for a few years, so it doesn't encourage me too much because I think I've been working at it for a while. And obviously my scores from yesterday indicate that either I was like really, really really, really bad and have improved to the, this point or I've not improved at all and I'm just bad. So, but I, I'm going to go with it. I'm not going to, I'm not going to fight it. It is what it is. It's information to help me improve. And I, and I, and I kind of looked at it too and I said, well, you know, it kind of explains why I'm probably more of an extrovert, an introvert, because I'm more comfortable and feel like I fit in better when I'm with people and I'm doing social awareness and I'm social regulating. Those are areas I feel more comfortable in. And being by myself and alone is where I start going wacky in my head, you know, like freaking out. Because I need to like, the bad thing is like I, like I have to be around other people just kind of like get this validation or talk to them like, okay, this is what they're doing. So they're doing it. So I'm doing it. Okay. We're social. We're doing, we're good together. We're good. We're good. But we, to be, we can't be social all the time. I probably learned that from my wife. I'm starting to listen. I don't, 
Actually, it's not listening more. Well, it's kind of weird. It is listening, but it's less talking is what I mean. So, <laughs> she's like, less talking. So you get the pleasure of my outlet. This is my outlet to talk right here. Huh? Buddies owners, Arizona Schnoodle Walks right here, baby. So, uh, yeah, this is my outlet on talking. So being alone, so I'm going to go be alone here in a few minutes, switch gears. This is my social awareness, my social regulation time right now. And then I will uh, go into my self mode. And since I suck at self-awareness, I don't do that well, whatever that means. I mean, some people are quite quite good at being by themselves. And they get energized by being by themselves. And I haven't learned to find the energy. And I, I think it's probably not a, again, this is all Gaussian. And they're saying it can be improved. So other people get energized by being alone, having downtime. So maybe I can learn to do it. Right? It's, in, it's in the head, it's in the brain, it's in the thinking, it's in the mind. Renew my mind, learn how to be energized, even when alone. And, uh, and maybe that's why I'm driven to the Holy Spirit. Because then I'm never alone, right? With that concept. So am I just manipulating information to make myself feel better? Like saying, oh, well, don't worry, Michael. It's, uh, you got low self-awareness. You're alone time, but, but you're really not alone. You're, you're actually in a social zone. You're, you're an extrovert. You're okay. Because there's a, there's a Holy Spirit. So I'm not a good data point on that. I'm, I'm kind of criticizing or challenging my own theories with that kind of thinking but it's okay it's worthwhile uh, you know, I, I still think whether you're whether you're high on self-awareness and you get energized by being alone I still think there's high value in the Holy Spirit and being in the presence of God and so for me I have the most important place for me to bring that is when I'm by myself if you're an extra or introvert and you may not do well in social situations or public speaking or something, you, the Holy Spirit is there with you too to strengthen you, to encourage you, to get you to, to have you perform or do what you need to do in that moment. And what are we doing when we're coaching or doing any activity? If we, we can use that hero framework. And so... I think people talk about like, well, when you're speaking, it's not about you, it's about your audience. And so, yeah, that's a great framework because that's a different mindset because most, I think most of us, myself included, uh, have always thought like, well, speaking obviously is about the speaker, right? But probably not the most effective speakers. So you, uh, listening to somebody for 20 minutes, 30 minutes, 40 minutes. 
or 40 minutes at 2x speed, which is then 20 minutes. But another human being is presenting information, expressing things. And is there any what, so what in this? What's the so what for you? It's uh, knowledge is power and dang, now I forgot the second one. <laughs> knowledge is power and there was another subject we talked about but I moved on to emotional intelligence but between emotional intelligence and knowledge is power there was something else what else was it thus the problem of not preparing notes or anything for the podcast um, but the dog has to be walked so there's no time to prepare right Wrong, there is time to prepare. I could probably just take five minutes and write down the three things that I'm gonna talk about. And then I'm focused, yeah, that elusive, gotta be focused. Yeah. So asteroids, talk about that. Living, meaning, suffering. We talked about, uh, uh, the crazy concept of are we all just in a concentration camp right now? And uh, it's just the, the ending is not formalized as in the other um, more restrictive view of the concentration camp. And then it gets into boundaries, like where do you set the global boundaries, right? So there's such a pull to like make a boundary around the U.S., for example. <coughs> All my media, the media, the news. We touch on Europe, like the, the, the president was just in Europe talking about NATO, and uh, <coughs> so we touch with other pres other nations, countries. But for the most part, we draw a boundary around something. I mean, some of you, uh, it goes both ways. Sometimes you want to probably just draw a boundary around your own body and, you know, take care of yourself, right? And then maybe your family, like what's going on with your family, your neighborhood, city, state. We have to move concepts we can't just stay with one boundary of global universal country there's a time for each but what gets frustrating is when an argument is made based on one boundary but it changes the dynamics if you move the boundary to a larger scale so move it up a boundary and uh, so, yeah, yeah, I did. A, I talked Woody with him with my wife yesterday. She's into it. She kind of gets it. She understands it. And from a marketing standpoint, she's probably a bucket that I don't know what kind of bucket she'd be in. But she kind of feels like, oh, I got to kind of get that already. So it's not like a light bulb. She's not really hyper-responsive. And uh, for you ask method people, 
I've noted that I'm pretty hyper-responsive to many things. It might be social awareness, social regulation. <clears throat> and my wife's really not much hyper-responsive to anything. I think I'm trying to find out, well, what is my wife hyper-responsive to? And the most basic emotional levels are like, well, everybody should have be interested in what everybody else is interested in, but that's just not, not reality. So I wonder if there's a broad scale for, well, what are you, what are you hyper-responsive to? What areas, right? So, uh, it's, it's good to be hyper-responsive about something, but we have to figure it out ourselves. What's uh, what we're excited about, and then express it, and realize that not everybody's gonna be responsive to that, and that's okay. And that's part of the abundance thinking and the outlier thinking of everybody's got a special calling, gift, and it's not better or worse than anybody else's, but. We're all, we all kind of have this gut feeling that we're going to perform better when we're operating in our strengths. So I may have to finish that um, later on. But uh, okay, so good podcast. Grace, mercy, and peace to you. Amen.